let's get into this. We are in a series called Decisions and Destinations, and um, it has to do with, you know, with New Year's, and we have new ideas and new ways that we want to live our life. Uh, hopefully, some of you made, um, I, I don't call them New Year's resolutions, because a resolution is like, I mean, it's going to happen, right? It's, a, it's an intention, a New Year's intention, and we talked about the importance of not making 15 things I want to do. It's, you know, two or three or four that I need to change, and so as we go through this story, we're going to be in the book of Mark. And there's three different stories that we're going to, to attack in the next three weeks of the book of Mark. And um, all three people that we're going to talk about were bound by something. There's a man who was bound by a demon. And there's a woman who is bound by this, this medical issue that she just bleeds. And uh, Pastor Stevie will be addressing that next week. Um, no man could do anything for her. And there's a little girl that dies in the middle. And, and she was bound by death. And Jesus takes care of every problem and God will do the same thing in your life if you would just submit it to him. Amen? He is the fixer of our problems. But first, I have to tell you, uh, first of all, I apologize to you. If you've been at the church for very long, uh, you have heard this story a million times. Georgianne has probably heard it, Laura, brothers, because they've been here longer than me. Uh, Chris and I, again, we, have, we celebrated our 25th year here um, in November, but, but Georgianne and, and Laura have been here longer than me, so they've heard this story a million times. And I hope it doesn't keep changing, because that would mean either I'm losing my mind or I'm a liar. And so I'm going to tell you the story about the Jeep, uh, because if you haven't heard the story about the Jeep, you need to know about my story and, and wrecking my mom's Jeep. And for the first time ever in 25 years, I actually have a picture of it. Uh, it's a 1978 CJ5 with a 304. Um, it is a cool Jeep, and we love it. And the bike there is my 1982 YZ80 that my dad met me halfway on. I worked all these summer jobs to, to pay for that thing. Uh, where I lived, up in the mountains, I would ride my motorcycle a mile and a half to catch the bus. That's how far up in the boonies I lived. And so I'm like, I'm like a mountain man, um, but I look like a city boy probably <laughs> because my wife dresses me. Um, <laughs> be thankful my wife dresses me because I would be like Kirkland jeans and a white t-shirt. Uh, so the story with this Jeep, I was 13 years old. It was a three-speed and, and my dad asked me to go get something down the mountain. And so we, again, lived about a mile, mile and a half down to the bottom of the valley of, of this town called Orleans, California. Um, if you heard of Hoopa Indian Reservation, that's where I was born. And we were up the Klamath River a ways from that. And so at 13 years old, you know, I, I, if you grew up in the country, here y'all learned to drive before you were legal. Like we learned to drive and, and it was a narrow road down the hill. So me and my little brother who was uh, seven years old, his name's Brett, uh, he was sitting next to me. We drove down the hill to a relative's house to get uh, something for my dad. And, and so as I'm leaving our relative's house, there's a hairpin corner to get back onto our road. And so again, it's all dirt. And so as I'm driving up the driveway, I see these three cute girls from school. My school only had three girls, but they were the cutest, you know, they were, they were, we, they were pretty cute. And, and so I saw them walking down from one of the girls' houses and, and so being 13, driving a new Jeep, you know, I think I'm, I'm something. And, and I come around the corner and I turn my head like this. I got the homework look on my face and I wave, I'm waving at them. And, and so as I'm driving, um, all of a sudden I feel a little angle happening and then my little brother lands on top of me and the Jeep is sideways um, on the, off the road. And I was smart enough to shut the ignition off and I asked a really dumb question because there are such things as dumb questions. And I, I said, did we just wreck? Um, and, and my you know, cousin comes running up the hill. He's like old enough to be my uncle, but he was a relative. And he's like, you all right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I bet you better call your dad. <laughs> and it was the longest walk 
the, the longest 50 yards I've ever walked in my entire life. And, and so I called my dad. I'm like, Dad, I, I wrecked Mom's Jeep. And he's like, okay, where it's at? And, and I told him where it was at. So he goes and gets a skitter, big caterpillar skitter. And it's got a winch on it. You got to pick up with the winch. And they flip the Jeep back up onto the road. And, and Dad says, okay, drive it home. And I was like, no, I don't want it. He said, drive it home. Said, yes, sir. Like, okay. The top is torn. I drive all the way back up the windy road, all the way up. And, and I didn't get in trouble for it. Didn't get a lecture, I didn't get anything, because I figured my dad figured at school the next day the three cutest girls in school have a story to tell <laughs> about Stan thinking he was really cool. And, and, that, and that enough, that embarrassment alone would probably teach me a lesson. Um, I did have to buy a new top for it. We went with black, and at 13 years old, I think it was a J.C. Whitney catalog I ordered it out of, if, if you remember what those were. That was about $150, that was a lot of money. But it taught me a lesson. My Jeep lesson taught me something, and that is this, that the decision sets the direction. And the direction ends up at a destination. I made a decision as a young driver to take my eyes off the road and look at something that was a little prettier than a road. To, to, to look at something that was a distraction. And in the process of being distracted, I wrecked. And all of us in our lives have probably wound up in a place that we didn't intend to wind up in because we got distracted. We got, you know, looking at something else rather than what we were supposed to look at. And so now with me, I'm very cautious with texting and driving or, or you know, looking at other things because of that one experience. Now, fortunately, it wasn't a fatal accident and it didn't do a whole lot of damage, but it taught me something that I need to stay focused. I need to stay focused on what I'm supposed to stay focused on and the distraction comes really easily. And so as we get into the story today, there is a man who winds up in a place that I don't believe that he intended to wind up in. He, he arrived at a destination that was very painful. It was, it was a place of torment. It was a place that he didn't want to be in and yet he found himself there. You see, no one's goal is to become an addict. It's no one's goal to end up in an abusive relationship. It's no one's goal to have a marriage that's just wrecked. It's no one's goal to be drowning in debt. And yet, there are people that wind up in these places. How do they get there? Well, it has to do with decisions. See, bad destinations can often be tracked back to bad decisions. Now, we're not talking about things today because there's, there's those of you who are like me who are like, well, what about this? Now, there are exceptions okay, to, to that statement. You know, sex trafficking, when little girls are abducted, taken from that, that is not their fault at all. And it's one of the horrible, most horrible things that can happen. Um, I think it should be a death penalty thing myself. Yeah. Just that's the way it is to take a little girl, little boy and abuse them like that. So we're not talking about those types of exceptions. We are talking about normal life decisions. Okay. Destinations okay, can, can be not of your making, but we're talking about the ones that are of your making. Ones that you, you made decisions and now you're like, man, I shouldn't have did that. Um, because today's focus is about life choices. Okay. Who you date friends you hang out with, okay, money that you spend that you may not have, and um, you know, the credit card statements from Christmas are probably rolling in about now. Nope. The silence, right, is very reassuring that I just hit home. Uh, you see, it always starts small, little compromises. A man doesn't get arrested for bank robbery who probably doesn't have somewhat of a past of stealing. You don't just wake up one day after making a bunch of good life decisions and say, you know what, I think I'll just rob a bank. Yeah. I'll, I'll think I'll embezzle. It, it, it comes little. It starts out in the little places. Mark chapter 5 tells a story about a demon-possessed guy, so it's going to be pretty interesting. 
And here's with the setting here. Jesus and his disciples have, have done some amazing things. And Jesus tells them after they met, met the needs of, needs of all these people, they're pretty tired. He says, okay, get in the boat, go across the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet you later. And he goes up to this mountain to pray. And he's by himself. And on this mountain, he sees his disciples and they're struggling. The wind is blowing against them. Um, it's a whole nother sermon. It was actually what I planned to preach on today, but I, I changed it. We'll hit it at a different time. And, and the point of that lesson is just because the wind's against you doesn't mean you're going in the wrong direction. Like, like life has the things that happen. And so Jesus can always see these disciples. And then he walks on the water. He freaks them out. If you grew up in church, you know the story. And they're all scared. And they're like, ah. And then Jesus is like, peace be still. And the water's calm. Everything's great. And so he gets in the boat. And they go across the Sea of Galilee to this place. And so that's the setting here. It says that they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat... A man with an evil spirit from the tombs came to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now the story is told in three of, of the four gospels. Matthew tells us that there's actually two men. Uh, Mark focuses on the main guy, but there's two guys actually that live in the tombs. Uh, misery does love company. And, and, and he, Matthew also tells us that, that they were so violent that people would avoid this area. That people wouldn't even go there because of the craziness that would happen. This guy would beat people up. I mean, he was literally insane. He was, he was possessed by demons. People would avoid the whole thing. Luke tells us that he's naked and, and just unkept. Like he, he just, can you picture this? I don't know if you can picture this. I brought something. I couldn't get a volunteer. Um, and so that's just slightly what crazy might look like. Okay? It's just slightly crazy. My, my daughter may have did the haircut on that as she was in beauty school, and she does a much better job now. Okay? Uh, and, and so I wanted just to give you a little visual of what crazy might look like. To you, only this guy was 10 times worse than this. Cut, bloody, dirty, hairy, just this craziness. Cra you ever seen somebody with crazy eyes? Don't make contact. Like eye contact, just don't. You're like, but it's my wife. Um, when, I, when, I, when I did something I shouldn't have did, I've, I've, I've caused crazy eyes before. Me personally, my sarcasm can cause crazy eyes. Um, and y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And if you know me well, if you come to my life group, you know that I cause crazy eyes by my stupid comments that I make sometimes that I'm working on. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes when I'm sleeping, I'm pretty good about not making sarcastic comments. All right. But this guy, just to paint a picture here, is in complete misery. Again, they're on the Sea of Galilee. They've already had a long day and a long night. And Jesus, no doubt, set the course of this boat. And I, I can guarantee you, because the, most of these guys were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, they knew about this guy. This guy didn't have a name. I just call him crazy guy because he's crazy. I mean, he's, 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 in, he's possessed by demons and nobody wants to go there. So you can picture what these guys were thinking as they're going toward the, the land. And, and Peter's probably like, Barnabas, this, this is where crazy guy lives, right? And Barney's like, yeah, bro, what's, what's Jesus thinking? And, and maybe they're saying, Jesus, do you, know, do you know who lives there? And Jesus probably just didn't even answer him because Jesus always knows who lives where. And he knows the condition of the person that are living there. But I want, you to, I want to talk about this guy for just a moment. Here was a man, we don't know his real name. He didn't start out this way. 
And I want us to have just a moment of compassion here for this person to look back at maybe his childhood and, and think, you know, he was an innocent boy at one point. What was his life like? What was his upbringing like? Did he have a dad that abused him, a mom that wasn't there? What, what happened in his life? What was he exposed to as a child? What did he go through? What kind of things caused him to make some decisions that took him in the wrong direction? How did he get to this point? See, we don't know, but I can tell you that he wasn't making great decisions in life and then one day woke up demon-possessed living in tombs. It wasn't like that because it's never like that. It always starts out with small decisions. In other words, his decisions set his direction and restless day and night, nothing could constrain him. And again, I think at one point, there were men that probably were strong enough to bring chains and chain this guy up, bind him up with chains, and, and it probably held for a while. But as the demons begin to pour in, because we'll find out he had a lot, he began just to break the chains. And I will tell you something, just because the chains are broken on the outside does not mean you're not bound up on the inside. Like in our heart, we can be chained up, okay? Free on the outside, but bound up on the inside. And even the chains couldn't hold him anymore. Now, this is a supernatural demonic thing because bones are not as strong as chains. And yet it wasn't breaking his bones, apparently. He'd break the shackles off. So there is a demonic activity. And some of you have, have been involved in that and you know that it's power. Ouija boards, guys, are real. You don't mess with them. The demonic realm is real. When you open up a door, it can come in. The door's got to be open. Somewhere in this guy's life, the door was open for demonic possession to come in. And the decisions, again, set his direction. Now, his state, restless, day and night, nothing could restrain him, yet absolutely miserable, is the perfect picture of a worldly person living for the flesh. The worldly person that says, you know what, don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what the Bible says. I don't have to listen to that. I can live how I want. If I want to be sexual immoral, I can do that. If I want to take drugs and be addicted, I can do that. Don't tell me what to do. And people with that attitude, as you know, end up in bondage. The freedom they're seeking is actually the thing they get further and further away from. That's why I'm so much against pornography. Pornography takes away the very thing it promises you. Okay? It, it does that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lie. Everything the devil offers you is a lie. Amen. Don't tell me I can't live like this. Because what they think is freedom will always live, lead to slavery and sin. Forgiveness is what freedom is. And boundaries really are blessings. People think backwards, okay? They think freedom is having no rules, but even in anarchy, somebody's the boss. Okay? These people are like, anarchy, but I'm the leader. I'm the leader of anarchy, and if you don't, you know, if you don't listen to me, I'll kill you because there's no rules. So anytime there's an anarchy, there's always a leader because people will rise up to leadership. They just will. That's why dictatorships, they just don't work. Now, if you don't believe me that following rules keeps you free, there's a couple large facilities east of town <laughs> with razor wire around the top yep. full of people who just followed the rules their whole life. Right. Now, we have people here that are out of those and praise God for the prison. We have people that go into those and minister. I thank Jesus for those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ while in prison. Okay, that my, my heart is that because there's a, there's a freedom. They can have a freedom inside, even though they're locked up, they can have a freedom inside. And that's God's heart, right? That's God's heart. But the point is, is when we don't follow the rules of society, there has to be some sort of punishment because life without rules is a crazy life. What if half the, half the people in Idaho decided, you know, the, the red light doesn't apply to me. Doesn't apply to me. They do. <laughs> they're probably, I said from Idaho, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some people drink, bring their driving habits from other states. Um, we're working on that. 
All right. But if, but if you, if you like, it doesn't apply to me, what happens? Chaos, right? Wrecks, death. Rules have to be followed. Rules actually bring freedom. If you don't like the driving rules and you break them, what, what do they take away from you? A little card. It's called a driver's license, right? A driver's license is a privilege. It's not a right. Because if you disobey the rules enough, they take it from you and then you get suspended from doing it. All right. So, so rules are important. Rules are important. Now, we don't know this guy's story, but I can tell you it led here. I don't know if it can get any worse than this. This is literally hell on earth because hell possessed him. This, this life is not a life of freedom that he probably thought it was when he was a young man doing his own thing. And now he finds himself living amongst the tombs, living amongst the dead, miserable, screaming out day and night because he is so miserable. And there's an important thing for us to learn here. Because the chains couldn't hold this guy anymore, people just avoided him. But what was it like trying to contain this guy? They just eventually quit trying. It says this, Jesus pulls up to the boat. I think they get out. I think this guy is looking down. He sees him. And when he sees Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. I want you to picture this. This guy sees Jesus. His disciples are all probably out. They're probably looking at crazy guy. And, and Peter's like, bro, he's coming at us. And, and you know, Judas, the chicken, he's like, I'm going to go check on the boat. Because um, you know, <laughs> Judas was a chicken. He was, he was all right. And, and I can see maybe Barnabas and Peter going, did you bring your sword? Dude, I'm not packing. Did you bring your, I forgot my sword. Like, what do we do? Do we get a rock? The crazy guy's coming after Jesus. I think they're kind of behind Jesus and, and Jesus is just standing there. And this guy is running like a wild banshee toward Jesus. And let me read it to you. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his lungs, what do you want from me? Jesus, son of the most high God. And I don't think it was this nice voice. I think he was like, what do you want from me? Scare some of you jump. What did Jesus on the most I got? That was my point, okay? Because now you, I got your attention. And it was this, what do you want from me? I will tell you this, that the demon's doctrine was perfect. They had never met Jesus before on this earth, but they knew who he was. Yeah. What do you want with us? Jesus, son of the most high God. Even the demons addressed him for who he really is, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It don't matter what your neighbor says. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your governor says. It doesn't matter what your president says. What matters is what these demons are saying is they called it for what it was. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's coming back. They called him, and what did this guy do? They fell on his knees. And I don't think it was the man falling on. I think it was the demons going, I thought, they, we have to bow. Why? Because the word of God says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you're a demon or a human, you're going to confess it. Yep. My goal is, is to get you to confess it now while it actually matters. Amen. Guys, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And Jesus came so that we wouldn't go to hell. He, he came so that we could have life and life more abundantly. And so that, that's the scene here. He falls down before him. And then they ask the question, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me as if that's what Jesus came to do. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of that man, you evil spirit. And I bet you Jesus wasn't screaming at the top of his voice. I bet Jesus wasn't talking in King James. Come out of that man with you, demon. <laughs> you know what Jesus was doing? He said, come out of that, come out of that man, you demon. Because yeah. Jesus' authority didn't have anything to do with volume. Yeah, right. Had everything to do with who he was. Right. King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on. All right? And so, 
Some of us like preachers with volume, but there's certain preachers, they get up and I just, I just like turn the volume down. It'd be like that. I'll let Pastor Stevie preach at you next week and he can yell all he wants. Um, and then you can send Pastor Louie the complaints um, that it was too loud. <laughs> it's a win-win. And I get to stay in my office and just hide. <laughs> like, hey, well, how's it going? All right. It'll work out. Next week's going to be good. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Okay. Don't miss it. Now here's something I want to point out here. I want us to think about this kind of a little side note is, is how do you greet people? Right. How do you greet people? This, this guy greeted, like, he was like, ah! and, was like ah! and, and Jesus just stood there because Jesus, Jesus was king and king. He didn't flinch. He didn't look back and see if his guys, his posse was there. Jesus was all by himself because he knew who these demons were. He met them before he cast them out of heaven. They had no authority. They had no fear. They had no fear. And he's just saying, come out of him. You, you, you evil demon, come out. That's authority that he had, just a quiet authority. But how do you greet people? See, when you come into contact, you can create a feeling inside of them. You can't. How, how do we apply this to normal life? Well, we live close to Bymart. I, I, you know, I drive Bymart, and I go to Bymart a lot. All right, it has the word buy in it. So I figured just buy more. And, and so when I walk in, they don't, I don't even show my card anymore. Matter of fact, I know who the new people are because I walk in and they want my card. I'm like, you're new, aren't you? I, I do, I'm terrible. Like, you're new here. They're like, yeah, how'd you know? I said, because I come here all the time and I know most everybody. Yeah. Like, if it's not Dana, it's Debbie. If it's not Debbie, it's Kathy. If it's not Kathy, it's Pierce. If it's not Pierce, then it's Vivian. And, and it might be Jeffrey, and it might be John, and it might be Eric. Okay, it, 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 I know most of the names. Why? Because I make it a point and they have name tags. <laughs> name tags are important. But I yell their name as I'm going. There's Bettina. I, I, I know most of the people at Bymar. I'm there all the time and they all know me. You know, you know what they know? They know what I do. They know where I pastor. Why? Because I tell them. I love my church. And like, if they don't know, I'm like, oh yeah, I pastor church down by the high school. And they all know me. And, and I pretend at times to have a positive attitude when I'm not feeling too positive. I walk in. You know why that's important to me? Because they know I pastor a church. They know I love Jesus. And if, if I'm in a grump, if I'm the grumpy pastor of the town, do I have a name? I call this guy crazy guy. Do they call me grumpy when I walk into Bymer? He was grumpy. Watch out. No, I don't want to be that way. Yeah. I, 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 I know their names. I yell, I'm, bye, bye, Debbie, bye, Dan, and bye, Kathy. I'm, I'm in their eye, bye. They all know me. And, and I love that. And that means that I better watch how I drive, how I talk, yeah. that I don't complain. Right? There's, 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 there's a witness there. But I think they like me coming in and calling them by name because that's important. Why? Like Pastor Steve said, it's about community. It's about relationship. And they may be having a bad day, and I usually ask them, hey, how's your day going? And I can kind of tell. I've been in there enough to kind of know how their day is going. I want them to have a positive view of our church. So doggone it, if you go in there, you better be nice if you're wearing a, uh, a CLC shirt, Okay. Because they might just tell on you. <laughs> hey, Pastor Stan. Um, one guy actually calls me pastor. It's really funny. Um, he, he, he works at the gun counter, so it's even a double blessing. That's good, all right? He's my buddy. We talk about end time stuff and everything. He's a good guy. His name's Tim. He's, he's great. Very, very, very loves Jesus. But how do you greet people? Because you create a feeling when you show up. If I'm happy at church, but I go home and I'm not nice to my beautiful wife, What's that show? Now, we're going to have moments. We get that, right? We have grace for the moments in a marriage. It's different. But I better be nice to her most of the time, right? I know I'm, I'm going to have my moments. I am. But I want to be the type of husband that she doesn't get sick to her stomach when I drive up. I want her to be joyful. I want her to be happy about that. And how I live, that's, that's what matters, right? Again, we have grace for moments because we all have those moments. But consistently, how do we make people feel when we greet them? 
Second question is, how do you react when greeted like this? When you get greeted by crazy eyes, when you get greeted by, by oh, man, do, do you fight back or do you have grace? You see, I think the disciples here, it doesn't show their reaction, but they, three of the, the four told the story, so something happened. I think they were like, whoa, and Jesus just sees beyond that. And he sees not this man for the condition he's in. He's, he, I'm sorry, this is he for who he is or how he got there. He sees him for the condition he's in. And, and he wants to do something about that. But the screaming, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy thing. Anybody ever heard a mountain lion scream at, at, out in the, yeah. It sounds like a woman screaming. It's a scary, scary sound. Yeah. My first experience of this happened when I was 12 years old. Okay, same Jeep. Different owner. <laughs> I ended up buying it later from my, my mom and dad. But when my mom had this, we went hunting up behind our house. And again, we lived thousands of acres of BLM land behind us, just in the mountains. And so we were, I was 12 years old. My parents dropped me off in this little logging block. So at, a logging block is where they log. You know, there's no trees. They plant new trees. And so I was watching this area all by myself. They dropped me off and they left. And I had no clue this was going to be a, a moment of abandonment in my life. Um, <laughs> Because the spankings weren't working, so I figured a night in the woods, or they figured maybe a night in the woods would. That's not what happened, but it felt like it after a while. And so I'm sitting there by myself. The sun's gone down. It's getting a little dark, and I'm wondering where my mom and dad are. Well, up on the hill, I heard a mountain lion scream, and it blood-curdling scream. And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't too happy about this. Like, mom and dad are gone. I'm here. This is probably a divine appointment to scare me into obeying because they're going to tell me I prayed for the mountain lion and if you don't behave, son, uh, there's a story in the Bible like that, but, uh, but that wasn't the thing. And, and so I heard this thing and then it just, did I hear it anymore? And so I'm still, it's getting darker. Now I can barely see it. I'm like, where are my mom? I mean, I'm 12 miles from home up in the mountains all by myself. I have my 243 rifle and, and all of a sudden, no joke, Scott, I see an animal walking up this trail toward me. And my imagination got me. It was already big. But I, I, I saw this thing, and it was four legs coming up this trail. I couldn't tell what it was. That's how dark it was. And so I pulled my rifle up, and I got out. I'm yelling. I said, I'm going to shoot. As if an out mountain lion would go, oh, okay. Um, but I think I did it as a safety thing to make sure it wasn't a human, even though there was really no humans around. It was just like a, but I could see it, four legs coming up, coming up, coming up. And I did the only thing that I knew to do, and I pulled the trigger shot that sucker, and it was flopping around, and I took off running. Like, ah, and I'm ran I have no idea what it was to this day. It was probably Bambi. Um, I, I don't know. I want to say mountain lion. Um, and so I'm, I'm walking down the road, and it's like a little bit of moonlight, and I'm like, where's mom and dad? And so I get to the, the Jeep, and they had a flat tire, and they were fixing the flat tire. And I was like, you guys deserted me, you know? So I've had abandonment issues uh, for a while. No. And, uh, and so anyhow, we got in the Jeep and went home. But that's my, that's my scary story of hearing the scream. So I want to paint a picture of what these guys probably heard as they fished. Because this was their fishing area. Sea of Galilee is where they fished. They probably heard the echoes of this guy at night rippling across the water. Because as you know, if you've been up to a lake, sound carries across water. They knew of this guy. I'm pretty convinced they knew of this guy, heard the screams, heard the desperate screams, and, and were probably very afraid. You see what Jesus didn't do? He doesn't see just a man who's at a destination because of a lifetime of a bad decision. He, he sees a man who desperately needs freedom. 
That's what he sees. The disciples are seeing captivity. Jesus is seeing a man who desperately needs to be set free. And if that's where you're at today in your life, spiritually, Jesus sees you. He's not looking at the condition of what got you there. He doesn't really care about that right now. What he cares about is, are you bound by something called sin, regardless of what it looks like, are you bound by it? Have you accepted him as your savior? If you have not, you're bound and you may not even know it. And Jesus came to set you free. So if Jesus could come and, and, and see a guy who has potential, you see all the, the, the disciples, what they saw? They saw possession. Jesus saw potential. Jesus saw beyond the possession. Jesus saw the chains. He saw the chains on the inside. He knew what had happened. He knew the condition of this guy. That's not what he cared about. What he cared about right now is, yeah, the Jeep's flipped over in the ditch. Do you want us to ride the Jeep so you can get back on the road? That, that's why Jesus approached this guy. And we're not very good at this at times, are we? The disciples see what is. Jesus sees what can be. And, and we're not very good at this at times. Why? Because we see the outward appearance. We see what's going on on the outside, but we fail at times to look at what's going on on the inside. You see, see beyond the condition of the person lashing out and have compassion for what's causing it. How often in our marriages, ladies and gentlemen, would this help if we see the, the, the crazy eyes or the reaction to things and take time to say, why are you acting like this? But take the time to, to ask yourself, okay, what is causing this reaction? What is causing this emotional thing? Is there something deeper? And guys, there always is something deeper. Now, ladies, be fair to us. If we ask you what's wrong, don't say nothing. Because that man will go, okay. Well, you said nothing was wrong, right? You better, you get, it's better to say it's bothering. I don't want to talk about it right now, but it's something. And then um, my always question is, is it me? You guys, you ever have those? You're scared to ask the question. Yeah. Did, I, did I do something? <laughs> no, but you might. Um, so you're like, okay, what do I do here? I, I want to know if it's me. If it's not me, I'm like, okay, how can I fix this? If it is me, I need to fix it too. But ladies, really, when a man asks you that question, are you all right? And you answer, nothing's wrong. We kind of know there is, but we, we don't know really what that means. Okay, nothing means there is something I'm not going to tell you right now. I'm trying to figure it out, okay? Now, ladies, if you ask your man, is something wrong? And he says, it's nothing. It probably is nothing. Not always, okay? Not always, but sometimes, okay? Offer a solution anyway. Let's get back to the story, all right? I don't think Jesus ever responded to people out of uncontrolled emotion. Because I can tell you, if I had an encounter with a guy like this, I would have a little bit of emotion going on, okay? In modern day and age, you'd be like, <laughs> Stay right where you are, all right? Bullets may not have affected this guy, I don't know. But Jesus never responded out of this uncontrolled emotion, okay? He responded appropriately. Did he have emotion? Absolutely. He was flipping tables over in the center because they were, they were cheating people. And he was mad, and it was righteous mad. But Jesus never, ever, ever, ever one time got his disciples together and said, Guys, I, I mean, I, I owe you an apology for overreacting on that one. Sorry I said a bad example. Jesus never had to apologize one time because he never did anything wrong. He was sinless. He was perfect. So every response Jesus ever had was the right response. Now, where did this guy come from? We don't know a ton about him. But he lived, as we'll find out toward the end of the story, in an area of the Decapolis, which was 10 cities. It was 10 cities in an area, and that it was known as, Deca meaning 10, the Decapolis. And one of these cities called Hippos was actually known for satanic worship. 
And so there's some speculation, is this where this boy grew up? Did he grow up in Hippos, the place that was known for demonic worship? What happened in his childhood? Was his parents in the weird stuff? Did they sacrifice, you know, his little life? And, and you say, hey, devil, here's our child. You know, it's not here's the devil child, because some of us say that anyway. But okay, we don't give the devil to the child, but we think there is possession sometimes. Honest story. I got to tell you a story. Lauren, I love you. She's watching online. It's my oldest daughter, our oldest daughter. Uh, we thought at one point she was demon-possessed as a baby. I'm serious. No, we, we were youth pastors in Walla Walla. I didn't tell the story first service. Um, and so I just put it online. So we, it, it was a screaming, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. It was like 2 in the morning, and, and, she, and she was just flipping. And we were like, what's going on? And we're praying in tongues over her. We're like doing all kinds of things. I mean, we were, we, we were, it was like exhaustion. We didn't know. So we started to take her to our pastor's house because when in doubt, take her to the lead pastor um, or the new kid's pastor. That works too, six months. It's a child, refer to Louis. Um, and, uh, and so we drove after a couple hours of she just freaking out. And on the drive there, she finally went to sleep. And so we realized it wasn't demon possession. We still don't know what it was, but, but it was the screams were like bringing something us and parents that we had no idea was in us. You ever been there? <laughs> You're like, I didn't know that lived in me, but you brought it out. Uh, true, marriage and children will do that to you. Amen. And, and so, uh, again, Lauren, we love you. You're not possessed. You never were. She's serving Jesus. She loves Jesus with all her heart. But we had this moment of what do we do with this child? But what happened to this kid? What was he exposed to? What got him to this place? And this help, hopefully helps us realize how Jesus' respond is so huge. That he responds with compassion. He responds in a way that was, was good, right? But this guy ends up in a tomb. He ends up living amongst dead people. He living among the dead. Why is this? Because his life was dead, according to everyone else, and probably according to him. And dead is where Satan definitely wanted him. But Jesus stopped by, and in a few moments, everything changed. He saw Jesus from this distance, and what does he do? He starts running to Jesus. He, and I don't know why. I'm praying. I haven't heard back yet from the Lord because I talked to like, Jesus. You were there. So why was this guy running to you? Did, did these demons think they could tackle you and kill you? What, what was the deal? Either way, they ran to the very one who could help them. So he's screaming. And, and then Jesus is saying this. Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what's your name? And the man replied, I think it was the demons replied, my name is Legion. Because I don't think he was this sexy British man voice. Why, my name is Legion. I, I, that was terrible. I, uh, yeah, that was not sexy. That wasn't even sexy. That wasn't even British. I'm terrible at that. I'll let Pastor Steve work on that next week, Pastor, because he can talk like, you don't want him to sex, sound like a sexy British guy? All right. How about Australian? Like a sailor Australian guy, then. All right, that better? I think I just turned red. Because um, that was pretty darn good, actually, for an Australian guy. Good to have you kick the AC. I actually think it's warmer. It feels warmer here to me. All right. And it's not just me. My wife just walked in. I just got flushed. Um, uh, he's up in a tomb, okay? And some of us end up in tombs and we don't realize it. Now, I can promise you that this little boy never grew up saying, I want to live amongst the dead. 
I want to be possessed by a demon. I want nobody to like me. I want to be chained up and be able to break chains. I don't want to, I just want to grow up and live amongst the hills and cut myself with stones because cutting is a thing. Okay, pay attention to that. Does this sound like a life of freedom? No, it's a life of bondage. It's a life of death. It's a life that would lead to death. And Jesus saw this. And like I said, Jesus saw potential and the disciples only saw possession. But imagine the moment here is this guy's running to Jesus and then he falls on his knees and then he screams one of the most important questions we can ask. And he says this, what do you want with me? Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, what do you want with me? And I think this is a question that we all need to be asking. Jesus, what do you want with me this year? It's 2023. What do you want with me, Lord? I want to serve you, God. I want to, what, what do you want with me? And, and you may not hear like this, you know, absolute, this is what I want, but I know what God wants. He wants all of us. Amen. He wants us to be yielded to him. And for the third Sunday, we're going to talk about um, Forrest Gump. But I want to talk about Lieutenant Dan for a moment. If you've never seen the movie, most of you probably have. There's the moment where, where Lieutenant Dan gets blown up, gets his legs blown off, and his family has died in combat. Like, you know, Lieutenant Dan and his family served since the Civil War, I mean, or the Revolutionary War. So he shows all the pictures. And here he is, and he doesn't die. Why? Because Forrest saves him. Picks him up, and he runs. And Lieutenant Dan is mad at him. He's like, I was supposed to die in battle a hero. And, and Forrest is just like, you know, I, I just was picking you up, you know. He's, he didn't really see Lieutenant Dan's misery. And there's that moment where Lieutenant Dan becomes his second mate, and he's up on the mast during the big storm, and he's up there, he's just like yelling at God, cussing. And, and you know that God's got big enough shoulders if you've been that mad at him, even when you use swear words? God's got big enough shoulders. Because as Lieutenant Dan is up there yelling at God, he's just, ah! He's frustrated at where life is at. I don't think God holds that against us when we're doing that. How do I know that? Because you're still here. Yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, you're going to take a ride. Boom. Okay, God could do that. God could do that, but he didn't. God's big enough to handle your frustrations. He's big enough. Why? Because God sees beyond our situation, not to what is, but what can be. And later on in life, what's Forrest Gump say about Lieutenant Dan? He says, you know, he never told me he got right with God, but I think he made his peace. That sounded like Bill Clinton. Not, um, I, let, I just need to let Pastor Stevie, just, the, he's got the strengths of voice. Um, I'll just stick to my day job, all right? Uh, oh, <laughs> I'll never get hired by Disney to do any characters. Except maybe Goofy, maybe. But Lieutenant Dan, what? He made his peace with God. And at the end of the movie, he's got his legs, he's got his fiance, life seems to be good. And I'll tell you what, guys, in real life, okay, that, that guy is like an amazing person. Like what he does for military people. Um, what's his last, what's his name? Gary. Gary, yeah. Um, man, doing something with his life. He's using his platform. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he sure acts like one. <laughs> he sure acts like one, because I know some Christians that don't act like one. Uh, but this guy really does something with his platform, what God has blessed him with. But the answer to God, what do you want with me, Lord? First of all, Jesus says, I want you to be free. I want you to be free. I want you to be free. Again, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to do that to get to heaven. It's the only way. All right? You have a moment at the end of the service, okay, to accept him. If you don't do it now, I'd say just do it now just in case. Like you're not guaranteed the next breath, right? But this wasn't the first time these demons had met Jesus. They knew exactly who he was. And they say this, swear that you won't torture us, as if Jesus is out to torture us. 
But there's been a lie that, that has been spoken. And, and so then something really strange happens. And I want to share a verse with you again that we've known and we need to memorize this. And it's Jeremiah 29, 11. Again, what's it say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And that, that, that was written before this incident. And so Jesus has the same plan for this guy that he does for us. This, the same plan for this guy who hasn't lived a great life. He's got the same plan for people who have lived a really, really good life. Same plan, freedom. Because none of us can live a perfect life. We're all bound by sin at one point. And, and forgiveness is what sets us free. What do you want with me? I think Jesus' response is, I want all of you. There's a purpose and a plan for your life. And this isn't it. This isn't it. You've been in the tombs long enough. And Jesus is speaking to this man. You've been in the tombs long enough. Jesus didn't lecture this guy about his bad decisions or what got him there. He didn't care about that right now. What he wanted him was to be free. And so I hope that today, that if you have had sin bind you up, I hope that you're not going to say, well, as soon as I get my act together, then I'll come to God. As soon as I get things in order, then maybe God will like me. Guys, look at me. You don't get things in order to come to God. You come to God first, and then he helps you get things in order. Okay? That's what Christianity is all about. Religion, religion says, no, you need to live this way, and then maybe God will accept you. That is the opposite of Christianity. That's what makes Christianity so beautiful. It's the only religion, really, that you, you come to God as a crazy guy and give your life to him, and then he starts working on stuff. We, we get our heart right first. We get forgiven first because how can we do it on our own? If we try to live on our own and do right on our own without the help of the power of God, we will fail. It just becomes religion. It becomes self-righteousness. We can't. And so if you're here today and you're like, if God, you know, if God knew, no, God knows everything. He knows your life. He knows everything you've done. And he has chosen to forgive you even before you've asked for forgiveness if you ask for it. He's like, it's like a prepaid forgiveness card. As soon as you apply, you got it. Okay. God doesn't look at your credit history, sin, and go, whoa. Like, if sin had a credit history, what would yours be? Yeah, I'm like an 850. Wow, you're a bad sinner. Because the higher credit score you have in sin, the worse you did. And you could go to a credit score. If I've got like a credit score of 10, I'm pretty good. And Jesus says, yeah, but you'll still go to hell if you don't accept me. So whether your credit score of sin is, is 10 or 850, doesn't matter. If you have a one on your credit score, you're going to hell if you don't get right with Jesus. Right? That should make you sinners feel really good that even the self-righteous person isn't going to hell either or going to heaven either. It's like, that means I have a chance, absolutely. Don't ever let your past keep you from making the decision to follow Jesus Christ. What is your name? And the demons answer. Jesus knew who, who the demons were. He'd met them before. They were in heaven. He cast them out. He knew what their names were. I believe that he was speaking to the man himself. And the demon answered through him. And what does this teach us? This teaches is that, is that a lot of times we see the pain speaking through people. And we fail to recognize that. We think it's them talking when it's actually the pain talking. Because here it was the demons talking, not the man. And we often miss this when talking to others and their reactions. Is again, is it them speaking or is it the hurt inside that's speaking? And we need to be better at recognizing that to not have this emotional response to somebody who's having a hard time or maybe acting out um, and, and to, to know, okay, is, is this hurt speaking? Is it insecurity speaking? Is it fear speaking? Is it addiction speaking? What, what, what's speaking right now? Because guys, I can tell you that Jesus did not look at the man for what he was. He looked at him for what he could be. 
a, a man that he would die for, a man that he would forgive if he only yielded himself. So oftentimes, we need to do better at hearing because what's really being said by people and seek to understand isn't really what is. It's causing it. It's causing the reaction. You see, we see crazy and we react to that instead of being like Jesus and seeing beyond the cause. This would help every one of our marriages, okay? Just to, to see deeper than what's being said or maybe what's not being said and look at a heart with compassion. Now he names, he says, my name is Legion. A Roman legion at this time had 2,500 men in peacetime. That was a Roman legion. In, in, in battle, it would rise to 6,000. So, you know, what I'm about to tell you in the rest of the story might make a little bit of sense, but, but if you're possessed by 2,500 demons, that's bad. Like one would be bad enough, but 2,500, okay, if, if he was referring to a Roman legion at that point, and then there's this weird conversation that I can't speak to, but it says this. They asked him, begged him, don't send us out of the area. And a large herd of pigs, it says, was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. So that answers your question. Can an animal be demon possessed? <laughs> a pig can, obviously. All right. Um, I think I had a dog was at once. And I got a picture to prove it somewhere. I couldn't find it. It was like glowing eyes. It was pretty scary. But he gave them permission. Jesus is even showing compassion on demons here. It's a weird story. And the evil spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. And then my brain's like, well, where'd they go after the pigs drowned? Like, again, I, we're not gonna talk about that today because I, I don't know of what I speak. I have no idea. If you've been demon possessed, come and talk to me afterwards. Um, I, I use the word if, not are you. Um, <laughs> If you are, go talk to Pastor Louis, um, and we'll, we'll break him in, all right? And, and so the demons rushed down the hill, and they, they drowned. And these tending the pigs, the people tending the pigs, they, they, they ran off, and they reported this to the town and the countryside, and it says the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the, by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And it says, and they were afraid. Like, you fickle people. The guy's not crazy anymore, all right? And so I'm going to turn crazy eyes around. So that's a little more sane. And, 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 and he's not crazy anymore. He's sitting there. He's got a, probably a glow. He probably washed up in the Sea of Galilee. He, he's, he's got clothes on. His hair's probably combed back. He's probably a nice-looking fella now. And they're going, that's crazy guy. What happened? And then they, it says they got afraid, which, again, is kind of a strange thing. And then something really weird happens. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. This man was changed. I mean, he, this guy was crazy. Now he's not. And, and they said, the pigs, they told this pig story as well. In verse 17, I don't understand this. It says, and then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. It, like, what? Who would ask a man who fixed this problem restored this guy. He's sane now. He's clean. He doesn't have crazy eyes anymore. He's sitting there listening and they're asking him to leave. That sounds crazy. And yet in our world, we do it all the time. We tell Jesus, get out of here. We don't want what you're selling. Get out of here. We don't want to live the life that you want to live. And the very thing that we're pushing away is the very thing that gives us freedom. You see, our world would rather choose chains than freedom. But they don't see it as change. They see it as freedom. And the more they indulge in sin, the more crazy our world gets, the more bound up we are. 
and it's the opposite. And so we see that today as, well, don't bring Jesus into school. Don't bring, okay, I, I, do we wonder why there's school shootings? Do we wonder why our schools are going crazy when we say, God, we don't want you here anymore? So we bring prayer back in schools. I think you'll see some things that happen. And tell me, schools still have prayer, okay? But, but as a whole, okay, we were pushing away the very one who can fix the problem. So it's just, it's crazy. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'll tell you this, Jesus will not stay where he's not welcome. So what's he do? He says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, he says, okay, that, if that's what you want, okay, okay, we'll leave. And maybe he came just for this guy. I, I think that's probably was the point. But Jesus is like, okay, if you don't want to, if you don't want to hear what I have to say, okay, you're all crazy too. You want me to leave, but I'll, I'll leave. I'll respect what you want. I, I won't stay where I'm not welcome. And this man does something incredible. So as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, he begged to go with him. He's like, Jesus, take me with you. And Jesus did not let him. It's one of the only stories that I know of where somebody wanted to follow Jesus. Like, can I go with you? And Jesus is like, no. Yeah. And he's like, why? Is it because of my hair? And Jesus is like, no, no, I have a better job for you. I know you want to go with me, but I have a job for you. And here's what he says. He says, go home to your family. Jesus knew he had a family. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell everybody in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, he's walking through and he's telling everybody how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people, says all the people, not just a few of them, all the people were absolutely amazed. They were amazed. Why? Because they saw a changed life and you can't dispute a changed life. You can't. And this guy's going, this is this guy named Jesus. And, I'm, and they're like, that's crazy guy. Is that a crazy guy? I was a crazy guy. I'm not a crazy guy anymore. I met this guy named Jesus and he set me free. And let me tell you, somebody will listen to you when you got a story like that. Yeah. This is what I was. I was an addict. I was a drunk. I was all this. People will, see, people will go, but something's different now. You've changed. What happened, Jesus? No. Yeah. Right? People won't believe it's Jesus. And, and guess what? He goes through the Decapolis and he's telling everybody, his family and friends, this is what God has done for me. He became this amazing evangelist. And you know what happens in chapter 7? Jesus goes to the Decapolis. And guess what? They already know who he is. Because crazy guy, who's not crazy guy anymore, I wish I knew who his name was. Let's call him Bob. Um, because Bob's changed, right? Say Bob, right? No, not crazy Bob, just Bob. Um, he said that, right? Yeah. And, and, and they're like, did you see what happened to Bob? Talk of the towns. Not just town, towns. Talk of the towns. Bob was nuts. We knew Bob was a kid and he was crazy. And he, was, he was possessed as a child. And, 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 and what happened? He's in his right mind now. He looks good. He's clean. He's not beating people up anymore. I can tell you he still has scars. He had scars from the rocks. He had scars. And, and he probably would say, yeah, this is, what, this, this is the old me. This is the old me. This is the new me. Because people will listen to somebody with a story. So don't ever think your story disqualifies you. If anybody was to be disqualified from being used by God, it was crazy guy. Like the story that he had, they're like, no, no way. But look what Jesus did. In one moment, Jesus set him free. And what did, what did he do? When he saw Jesus, what did he do? Well, who did he run to? He ran to Jesus, probably not even knowing what was gonna happen. He ran to Jesus. So you're either running to Jesus or you're running away from Jesus. If he had ran away from Jesus, he's running toward death. He's running toward the tombs. 
But he ran to Jesus. And then there would be a tomb later on, the tomb above all tombs, the tomb that would make the difference. And that's the one that Jesus came out of. And that's what sets us free, guys. That's what sets us free. So what binds you today? It might be failure or fear of failure. You might be serving God with all your, but you're, you're afraid to, to try something because you're afraid of what people might think. Or, you know, you love Jesus and you, I want to be involved in this ministry. I'm not sure if it's going to work. You know, if it's all you, we don't want you anyway. Come on, somebody. If it's all you, we have to have the, the weakness to go, man, I, I can't do this on my own. I have to have God. I have to have God speak through me or do whatever it is that he does through me in order to make this difference. So if Jesus can do this for crazy guy, because crazy guy became the setup, man. When, when Jesus finally came to town, they're like, we know about you. We, we know your name. Why? Because crazy guy is not crazy anymore. You did something in his life. What is it that you did in him that you can do for me? So he, his amazing story is, and the God used this guy to, to basically tell the message of Jesus before he got there. So that when he did get there, there was credibility. You see, how I live matters. How I treat others matters. How I react matters. My mood matters. I wish it always didn't matter, but it does, okay? And we can't always control the mood, okay? We have moods, there's their emotions. But this led me to a question. Does my life give Jesus credibility? Does my life give Jesus credibility? That's, that's what this guy's life did. When he went and he told everybody what Jesus, they saw a visual difference. Like this guy is changed. And again, a changed life won't go unnoticed. But does my life give Jesus credibility? How I live, how I react, how I talk, what I wear, what I say, things that I do, do I reflect the Jesus that somebody would actually want? Because here's, here's my concern in our world today. If we're a Christian and, and we act like life is just terrible all the time and life is not fun and we're always grumpy and complaining and whining and not working hard and not showing up when we should show up, if we're living that way, why would people want what we had? Man, when I come out of an ice cream shop or going into an ice cream shop, I want to run into the kid who's going, oh, this is so good. <laughs> Not like, hey, it could be like, was that bad? Oh, it's terrible. Worst ice cream ever. I want a kid that comes out. He's like, this is so good. I want to be like that. I want people to see Jesus in me. Do they see imperfections? Absolutely. Y'all know me. <laughs> and if you're brand new to the church, <laughs> just talk to somebody. They'll tell you. I don't have everything together. I got my life pretty close together, but I, I still, there's, there's still some crazy in me, right? Because we're all a work in progress, right? So as you think you don't have nothing to work on, boom, man. Devil will be like, oh, that's your weakness right there. Okay, the devil's like a scout. You know, they'll, they'll look at the team and go, here's the weakness. You know, that's what's going on with football is they'll look at weaknesses and go, oh, they're, they're weak here. That's what the devil will do, okay? That's what the devil will do. Does my life give Jesus? That, that's probably out of this whole message, that's probably the thing that hits me the most is, man, I just want my life to give Jesus credibility Amen. to saying what the God he serves works, okay? Not perfect, still has his days, but it's working. It's working. I, I want to give Jesus credibility with my life. You see, seeking perfection can hinder progress. We could preach a whole message just on that. If you're just looking for perfection in your spouse or your kids, it's going to hinder progress because they can't be perfect, right? So we praise progress. We look at little progresses and we praise those things, but don't look at perfection in people. You won't find it. So my personal opinion is that God smiles at effort and willingness over perfection. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to try. So the cross today, what direction are you running? 
And most of you here have accepted Jesus as your savior, but I have to believe that maybe one or two of you have not. That's what drives our preaching team is like we, the, the message of Jesus is going to be preached because there might be one person in this place that doesn't know him, that needs to be set free. You might be bound in things and you don't even realize you were bound until you heard me go, wow, my life really is kind of a mess. I've tried all this stuff. Life is still missing something, but I've never tried Jesus. I wonder if he's the missing piece to my puzzle. Absolutely. Jesus like is the puzzle. And so if you're here today and you are bound up and the chains of sin have got you, regardless of what sin it is, if you lied when you were five years old, okay, and you've not done anything since you lied when you were five years old, that was a sin. The Bible says, don't lie, and you did it. That, that one sin is enough for the death penalty, hell and eternity, if we don't give our life to Jesus Christ. The good news is, is Jesus came to set us free, not, not pound judgment on us. He wants us to come to him. And so if you bear your heads with me just for one moment, and I'm talking to those of you who, again, who have never asked Jesus to be your savior, or maybe you did it long ago and you're running so far from God, you're just like, I just want to come home. God's arms are wide open. I want you to picture Jesus at the Sea of Galilee looking up at this guy running at him, full of demons, full of hate and bitterness and destructive life. And Jesus is saying, son, just come home. That's what I want. I want you to run right at me because your sin does not scare me. I'll die for that sin. And if you need to be set free today, I just I ask you just raise your hand where I can see it. Don't ask to, to hold it up very long. But if that's you, just say, stand up. I need to accept Jesus as my savior. Okay, all right, I see three hands, maybe some more online. But here's what we do as a family in support of those who raise their hands. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, but if you pray this prayer, God will forgive you, set you free, and you'll be on the course to heaven. So let's pray the prayer together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for someone as crazy as me. <laughs> Thank you for your forgiveness. And I ask that you would forgive me my sins. Come into my life. And be my Lord and Savior. And now use me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At least the three of you, you're welcome to the home. Amen. All right. yeah.